Well, good morning and welcome to Easter Sunday at Kingsway Christian Church. It's good to be here with you today. Wasn't that awesome? Man, what better day? Yeah, what better day to get baptized on Easter Sunday? There is a backstory there and I can't wait to hear it. So I'm standing backstage and he's kind of back there and getting ready to come out. And I just shook his hand and said, hey, congratulations, great day, great decision. And, and I said, man, you know, do you have a bunch of family or friends out here to see this? And he said, my fiance is here. And uh, that must have been a special day. I don't know where you are, fiance. And, I, and he said, that's it. We don't know anybody else. That's going to change before the day's over, right, guys? <laughs> Here's the thing that I know about, about Jesus is that uh, this is a special day. See, uh, we celebrate the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus every Sunday at Kingsway, but Easter Sunday, we really go all out. Because, here's what we know, there will be between 3,500 and 4,000, but praying for over 4,000, don't know if we got there yet, but uh, that, that God would bring that many people here today because... We get this variety of people. We get long-term members. We get new members. We get regular attenders. We get irregular attenders. We get guests. And you're all here on one Sunday. And then we try to go all in and just say, hey, how do we help everybody to know that we love you? Just a couple weeks ago, I was at a local business in town, and I'll leave the name's business name out so you don't know who this is, but there was a young lady there, and she and I are talking, and in every conversation I'm in, I'm always trying to figure out, is there a reason why I'm in this conversation? I, I just assume up front God has ordained every conversation I'm in in some form or fashion, so I'm always trying to connect it back to what God's doing here at Kingsway especially. God's doing a lot of things in other churches, I just don't know about it. I know what God's doing here. So we get in the conversation, and I just ask, so hey, do you have a church home? And, and this young lady's got a really serious boyfriend, and there may be an engagement coming up soon and I said do you have a church that can walk you through that and they said well okay um well I have this church that I grew up going to in Plainfield okay that's fine then hey you got an answer to that question and she said well we're what you call C&E's have you ever heard of that I'm familiar with that C&E stands for Christmas and Easter and what she went on to tell me was that was when her family went to church. And here's what I know about Easter. Some of you are here because you're that family. You're maybe not her family, but you're your own version of that family. And so that's why you're here today. And uh, I went on to tell her, look, you don't have to switch churches, but Kingsway has some resources for you, for newlyweds, for people who are engaged, fiance of the guy I just got baptized, and for people who are getting married, people who are married, and you can always take part in those resources. Um, I see people coming in the back looking for seats. I can just say from where I stand, I see a whole bunch right here. It's in the spit zone, <laughs> and there's some over here. And uh, also, if you're serious, all the way back up at the top, there are some seats up there too. Uh, feel free to find those if you don't know where they are. Anyway, hey, look at you. God bless you. Okay, we don't, we don't have to point them out. Okay, and so what I want, here's what I want for you when you leave here today. I want you to understand what Easter is about and what it means for you going forward. That's my hope, my entire hope for you today. There's another guy I met a couple weeks ago sitting right down here after the service, and we started talking, and here's what he told me. He came down, and he said, hey, Matt, I just want to come down and meet you. God ordained a conversation. God does this often. I never know when he's going to do it, but it becomes clear because we ended up having like a 15, 20-minute counseling session right down here. And within a few minutes into the conversation, I asked him a couple questions, and he started tearing up, and then his wife started tearing up, and I went, whoa, there's a backstory here. There's some stuff going on. I don't have his permission to go into all those details, but let me just give you this much. There's a lot of family baggage. There's some generational sin patterns that have been passed down from person to person to person. Some of you know what that feels like. 
And he's standing down here, and here's his backstory as it relates to me. Last summer, he sent me an email, and he'd been coming to Kingsway, I think, for a couple months at that point, and we exchanged some emails about some resources he was looking for, and that was all I heard from him. Well, in this conversation, I'll fast forward 10, 11 months, and he's telling me that, you know, he's been here on and off over the last few months, but he's in a bad place, and he needs help. And while he thought he was just coming down to shake my hand and meet me face to face, God had other plans. And so I connected him with some resources here, and he sent me an email that week, and he said, man, I just want you to know, uh, I'm not going to be another statistic. I'm going to follow through. I'm going to change this thing. And I went home that day, and I felt better than I have felt in a very long time. I felt like I had hope. And I wrote him back and uh, about a week later, earlier this week, and I just said, hey, man, how's it going? Are you holding up okay? Have you followed through? And he wrote me back, and he's like, I can't believe you reached out to me. And here's what he said. I have his permission to share this. He said, thank you for this email. I don't have many friends, and it's almost unbelievable that anyone would just check in on me. Thank you. See, I don't want that for you. I know a lot of you moved here from other places. You don't have family nearby. That's my story. My family is, is six hours away. My wife's family is about three hours away. Our family is right here. And the people of this church who've loved us and cared for us and taken us under, and they've been patient with me when I'm an idiot, and they've served me when I needed it, and I've served them and been able to love them. And that's why God did this thing called church. And I want that for you. Just like I want that for this young man, I don't want you to just show up and then we see you again next Christmas and you miss it. Because see, some of you, you came here today and you got some junk. There's some stuff. And here's what you've been doing. Honestly, let's just be honest. Just me and you. Nobody else is here, right? You've been lying to yourself for a long time. And here's how I know. If you fit that category, you'll know it because you keep telling yourself things will get better. And they aren't. And you keep trying. And they don't. And you keep believing the lie that if I just try harder, if I just keep going down the road I've been going down, it'll get better. But it doesn't. And when you finally get into those quiet moments where you've turned off the TV and you're laying in bed or in the chair and you can't sleep and your mind is wandering and you're stressed out trying to figure out how you're going to have enough energy to make it through the rat race of the next day. And as you're in that place, you really start to process, right? And you really start to fig try to dialogue about those stuff. You're going, you know what? I feel like I'm in my dad. I feel like I'm my mom. I feel like there's this pattern. I feel like I'm doing the same thing I did in my last marriage. I feel like I just keep this thing going. I don't know how to make it stop. That's what Easter's about. I've got this uh, way to represent this in my own family. We're not off the hook. Let me show you a picture real quick and see if I can make sense of the picture. Here's a picture of an old desk. This desk has been living in my garage, I don't even know how long. I think a year, maybe two years, I don't, maybe even three years. I can't remember, honestly. It's been a long time. been collecting dust. You can see right there at the top right corner, there's a circle. That's where the knob has spun around so many times the metal has cut into the wood. Let's go ahead and show them the top of it. Yeah. Here's how this desk came to us. It's been passed down from family member to family member. I don't even know how many houses it's been in before it got to ours, but it's more than one. And it keeps getting passed from family member to family member. And here's what all those family members keep doing. They keep taking it, not knowing what to do with it, and handing it to the next group until it landed in my house. And when it came to my house, here's what we were told. Two things. You can't destroy it, and you're not allowed to get rid of it. Have fun. <laughs> Thank you. 
By the way, I see more people coming in not knowing where to sit. Again, there's this lovely row right down front or up at the top right. For those of you who are seating and can't see, up at the top right, there's some seats up there. So, okay. Here's the irony of that. I can't destroy it, and I can't get rid of it. So what's it going to do? It's going to sit in my garage and collect dust until I finally get sick of it, and I'm having a garage sale, but I can't get rid of it. So finally, I'll find another family member to pawn it off on. Isn't that how it goes? And let's be honest for a second. This desk is just a metaphor, right? That's how it's been going in your life for a long time. Somebody packaged up the old beat up, scratched up, dented up, bruised up, broken down, past, and they keep handing it to you. The reason nobody can get rid of this desk is because it was a family heirloom. It's been in the family for so long, but the reason nobody wants it is because there's a lot of really bad, painful things in our past, in our family, and nobody knows how to deal with it. So what do we do? We hand it to the next family. We pass it off to the next generation, and it just keeps going. Is that all there is? Is that, is that as good as it gets? I sure hope not. And if you're sitting here today and you can relate with that, maybe you could also relate with Doug here. Take a look. I think I always had a, a profound belief in God as a child. There was something um, noticeable in my life that I, I had a, a, f a profound belief that there was something bigger than me. There was a lot of drunkenness and violence in my house as a kid. I spent four years of my life convinced that I was a horrible child. Uh, 1988 was a crazy year for me because not only would I find my savior, but I'm, I, um, I was having some success as an actor. L.A. is a tough place for a kid with not much experience outside of greater Indianapolis. It's a different culture. Like so many times in my life where this exuberant, you know, boastful, Peter-like... I got you, Lord. I'm in this fight for you. I'm your guy. Oh, Peter, you will deny me three times before the cock grows. And I'm, I find myself the same way. Oh, Lord, I got you. I'm going to go to L.A. and I'm going to be a soldier for Christ. And I will never deny you. And it wasn't long before he flushed that nonsense out and showed the truth of my weakness. And it took me to dark, dark places. And so I went down the rabbit hole, just like us, of, of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I mean, that really was um, an easy trap for a kid like me to fall into. I've, I've, for years, dressed up this life of mine as this grand adventure. But the honest truth is, 
It was uh, an attempt to escape. I, I anyway, am in awe of the price that was paid for my choices. I deserve death, and, and I've seen death. I have seen death eye to eye. If you'd have told me in 1988 that I would someday be <clears throat> standing at the top of a parking garage ready to check out, I would have really laughed you out of the building. I don't think anyone ever expects to find themselves buried by despair, but that's where I was. You may be thinking to yourself, like, wow, that's the most depressing intro to Easter ever. But I want you to picture this for a moment. Let's go back to the first Easter. By the way, it was extremely depressing, extremely depressing. Here you have a fledgling group of disciples who are so ready to conquer the world through their Messiah, their king, who's going to set up his kingdom. And then Friday happened, and they crucified him. Even at the crucifixion itself, there's only a few women and one disciple, John. One disciple's already given up. He's hung himself. That's Judas. The other 11 are hiding in the upper room, terrified that they're next. They aren't even there to watch it happen. And when Jesus finally dies, they stick this spear in his side and blood and water flow. Why? To show that he really was dead. And they took him off the cross and they put him in the tomb. And they had to hurry up and get it done because from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday was something called the Sabbath. And the Sabbath in Jewish culture was commanded by God. Go back to the Ten Commandments. It's right there. But by the time we get to Jesus' day and age, not only did they practice the Sabbath, but they had added all these laws to the Sabbath. So on the Sabbath, you couldn't work. You couldn't do anything. The entire Jewish culture shut down from sundown to sundown. That's why when we get to Mark chapter 16, we see this. Mark 16. This will be page 778 in the Bible. We provide... If you don't know how to find it, it'll be on the screen, or if you have some sort of space gadget tablet, you can download our app and get it off there. Mark 16, verse 1. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. Now, look at what's going on here for a minute. Jesus, the, the Messiah, the, the coming one who has now come, the one who keeps saying the kingdom of heaven is here. In other words, I'm the kingdom of heaven. I'm what it's all about. He's now dead. What could all of this mean? And the disciples are terrified, grasping at straws, trying to figure out what has gone on and, and what could all of this possibly do. But there's two women who decide to take some form of action. Now, we know for a fact that Mary and Mary here, a popular name in Jesus' day, Mary and Mary didn't have any idea of a resurrection. We see this in John's gospel when it talks about Mary getting to the tomb, Mary Magdalene, and this conversation she has with Jesus about where is Jesus, and she thinks Jesus is a gardener. Like, she doesn't understand. There's, there's no way Jesus could be raised from the dead. But here in Mark's gospel, the way the story unfolds, these two ladies, the moment that the sun goes down Saturday, they run out and buy spices. Why? Well, the Jews didn't do mummification. They didn't make mummies. 
But what the Jews did do is they would wrap in heavy cloth and lots and lots and lots of spices. And there were two main reasons why they would do this. Reason number one, to slow down the decomposition of the body. Part of the reason is, is many people who were buried in Jesus' day were put into a first tomb, and then when their bodies decomposed, they would take the bones and they stick them in an ossuary and move them out of that tomb, and then that tomb could be used for someone else. This slowed down that process. The other reason is it covered up the stinkiness, for lack of a better phrase. See, it, Jesus was in the Middle East, and the Middle East, in case you don't know this, is a Mediterranean culture. Think Southern California. That's kind of like what it is over there. So bodies decompose fast. Now put together the pieces of the story as we see them. Saturday night, these two ladies go out and buy spices in order to anoint Jesus the next day. It says that at sunrise, they were already on their way to the tomb. So they were already up, did their hair. How long did that take you today, ladies? Probably a little different in that culture. They don't have... Alarm clocks, they don't have iPhones. With eager anticipation, they stayed up all night long. And we don't know that, but we know that somehow they're up and ready to go so that as the sun is rising, they're on their way to the tomb. They can't wait to care for a dead, decomposing body. What would drive someone to do that? Well, the answer is simple and yet not at all simple love. And I don't know a lot about Mary, mother of James and Salome, but Mary Magdalene, I know a little bit more about her. The scriptures tell us a little bit more about her. She has a backstory like so many of us. You want to know her backstory? I know there's kids in the room, so I'll be sensitive on what I'm about to say, but if you want to know her backstory, Luke chapter 8, verse 1 through 3, but especially verse 2, Luke 8, 1 through 3, it'll tell you all about it. And what it says is simply this, Mary Magdalene was freed by Jesus. And that's a fantastic statement in and of itself. But she was freed from seven demons. That's a bad day. We don't even know what that means because we don't have a box to put that in in American culture. Our box, the best we have, is like Harry Potter and what other freaky other movie you love to see at the theaters. And in that day, it didn't look like it does. See, in that day, this wasn't something you asked onto yourself. You were a victim of something that happened to you. It's something that came upon you. And when that did happen, and it did, as we're told in the scriptures, there was always some form of oppression and pain and suffering or addiction or depression or anxiety or physical pain or health complexity. There was something that went along with that. So whatever's going on in Mary Magdalene's life, when she meets Jesus, she's in a very, very bad place. And then she met Jesus. And he set her free. And even though you can imagine, just like so many of us, she's probably tried over and over and over again to deal with this on her own, but she just doesn't have what it takes. Now, what's going through your mind if you're Mary Magdalene and you're in that situation? And you now watched Jesus die on the cross. You watched them put him in a tomb, and you're going to care for his body. Let me tell you what's going through my mind, and I'm not her, but let me tell you what's going through my mind. What will this mean for me? Is all of that coming back again? Did the power that Jesus have only work? Was it only effective? Did it only count while he was alive? Now let's read the rest in Mark 16. Verse 3. On the way there, on the way, they were asking each other, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? 
But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. I love all these details. They're letting you know this is how it really went down. The women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. Well, duh. Where is he? He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they actually laid his body. Now, go and tell his disciples, including Peter, emphasis here, please tell Peter that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. And this is such a profound moment for Mary Magdalene because what this means for her is the same thing that it means for us nearly 2,000 years later gathered at Kingsway Christian Church. And that is, if Jesus rose from the dead, then dead things can stay dead and new things can come to life. That's exactly what Easter Sunday means. In fact, that's exactly what Paul says about Easter Sunday. Take a look with me now. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. Here's how Paul says this. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our what? Old life. In other words, this thing that you keep carrying with you into every relationship, this thing that you keep taking with you into each of your workplaces, into your families, into your parenting, this baggage, this worn down, broken up, scratched up, beat up past, this thing that you desperately want to die in Jesus can die, will die, does die. But it brings up a great question, like how, right? Paul actually answers that. I love the message translation here. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It'll be on the screen in the message translation. It says this, how, you ask? In Christ. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so that we could be put right with God. What Paul's trying to get to here is this. What Jesus did on the cross and what he did in the resurrection was he took on himself all of our scars and bruises and shames and brokenness. He took it upon himself. He took our firmities. He took our iniquities. And then he made us a trade. I'll take yours. You take mine. Well, what are you giving to us, Jesus? Verse 15, 2 Corinthians 5, 15. He died for everyone so that those who receive his New life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Do you hear it? Jesus took your old life. He gave you new life. He made a trade. I'll take the beat up. I'll take the broken down. I'll take the junk. You take new. Sound like a trade? It's a new that you can't accomplish on your own. And if you're really honest with yourself, you know that. If you're really honest in those quiet moments, those dark moments when nobody else is around and it's just you and Jesus, you know that's true. Because you keep trying and you keep failing and you just don't know what to do next. So what's your answer? Your only answer, try harder. How has trying harder worked so far? Just honestly. Not real well is my guess. But in Jesus, new life. 
This word here, this phrase, new life, some places say new creation. This phrase, in the Greek, it's the word kainos. Kainos is new. There's two kinds of new in Greek. This one here, when you put it with life or creation, so it's new life, new creation, what you get is something, I looked this up, that is qualitatively new. That's profound. You have no idea what that means, do you? Neither did I. Don't feel bad. I had to go look up. What does it mean that something is qualitatively new? Here's essentially the best way I can make this picture for you. It's like taking an old desk that's beat up, scratched up, and Jesus comes along and he doesn't do what you do and what I do. He didn't just slap some paint on it and hand it to your kids and say, here, you have a desk now. All that junk and scars and bruised and brokenness, it's all sitting underneath there. No, what he did, what Jesus does is he pulls out the sandpaper. And he pulls out the stripper and takes off the lacquer. And he pulls out these fine tools and he gets in every crack and crevice. And then he covers you, but not with stain, but with his blood. And then he doesn't just leave you as a desk. He gives you a new meaning, a new purpose. He gives you a new hope, a new vision for your life. This is what Easter is all about, death of the old, life of the new. But it's going to take a trade. You can't hold on to the old and get the new. You must let go of the old and receive and accept the new, this new thing that Jesus wants to do in you. And oh, sometimes it's hard and it's painful. Can you imagine being the desk and having to go through that? It's time-consuming. And it better not be a hack, because a hack with a sandpaper, he'll he'll just dull everything down. He'll take off the beauty. Oh, no. No, he's not going to waste a crevice. He's not going to waste an ornateness. He's going to bring about beauty and glory through his masterful work. Look at the way Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 5, jump down to verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned. To be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And here's what Easter is all about, friends. It's about the death of the old and the birth of the new. It's about taking what is broken, that thing that you're ashamed of, that you're embarrassed by, the thing that you don't need to even know what to do with. And it's about giving it to Jesus and Jesus taking it and saying, let me leave it in the tomb and let me birth about, bring about something that's completely new in you. Oh, you may have the same frame. You may look similar But your whole purpose in life will be very, very different. Maybe it'll be a little bit like Doug here. Let's take a look. When I walked into Kingsway, I I, I felt like that that old dresser there. I I, I felt a lot like that, you know. I felt... You know, I've got some use in me left. I'm, I'm still a pretty good dresser. I just need a little cleanup here, and maybe, you know, this place could do that for me. But I needed the kind of restoration that can only come through the body of Christ. 
there's nothing really special about me except the one that lives inside of me. I'm just another guy. I'm just another guy. I'm one more face in this sea of faces. And I gotta believe that somebody else is or will feel, somebody who may see this video may feel like really down. And if I could say something to them, it would just be don't, don't quit. Don't just cry, cry out to God. Ask for Jesus to intercede because there is, there is salvation. There is restoration in Jesus Christ. And I'm proof of that. You know what I love about Mary Magdalene being the first one to the two? In Jesus' day, women had zero respect and honor. I hope it's totally different in America. I know it was a little bit. In Jesus' day, just to give you an idea, if you were to be put on trial, a woman couldn't even show up and testify on your behalf because her testimony was considered irrelevant. She couldn't be trusted. And yet the first person to testify about the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not only a woman, but a woman who'd been through what Mary Magdalene had been through. I love that because what it says is it says that Jesus doesn't look at the outside, the scars and the wounds and the pain and the brokenness. Jesus is looking on the inside, the inside of an empty tomb, the inside of a heart that says, I love you. That's what he's looking at. And he wants to do something with you. He doesn't want to leave you as he found you. He doesn't just want to keep moving you from place to place, from situation to situation. He wants to move you from death to life, eternal life. But not just eternal life. Okay, after your last breath, you get to go be with God. Is that it? Does that mean your next couple decades here just wasted time waiting for that to happen? Or is the resurrection real for now? I love the way Paul says this in the message, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. Our firm decision is to work from this focus-centered. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life. A resurrection life. A far better life than people ever lived on their own. Look, I know many of you just came here today hoping to pay homage or respects to Jesus and go on your way. You know what? The ladies that day, they planned on just showing up at the tomb and paying homage to Jesus too. They didn't know that they were going to end up meeting the most fantastic moment of history. They didn't realize they were going to meet a decision moment, a fork in the road moment. And sometimes we just have these moments where we come to an empty tomb, where we come to a moment where we got to meet Jesus, and we got to decide what to do with him. And maybe this is that moment for you. Maybe like this young man here today, maybe today's the day you go all in with Jesus and you quit playing games with him. And you quit trying to act like you can figure it out on your own and you start to humble yourself and go, I can't do this on my own anymore. And if that's you today, when we're singing this next song, my left, your right, under the screen, some of our staff are going to be there and they'd love to just tell you about Jesus. Look, maybe you just need prayer. You don't even know what the next step is. You just go up and you say, help. That's all you got to say. Let's at least pray with you. The rest of us, we're going to belt this out singing to our resurrected Lord.